Would you turn to Mark 15? Mark 15. We're getting there, right? Slowly but surely. Um, you should congratulate yourselves that we have arrived to this passage today. One more chapter to go. Would you believe it? All right, Mark 15, and we'll be going through verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> And the word of God reads, Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. <clears throat> Just a background. Where we're at so far with the Gospel of Mark, after uh, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal on Thursday night, if you recall, he took his 11 disciples, 12 minus um, Judah, um, Judas Iscariot, um, the 11 disciples, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there at the Garden, Jesus wrestled with the Father to gain as much human strength as he possibly could in order for him to be prepared for what is to come. The next 15 hours until Jesus' death are going to be the longest 15 hours of his human life. All hell is now breaking loose. And once again, um, just to... A quick overview, Jesus underwent six trials in total. The first three trials were Jewish trials, and the second uh, set of uh, trials, the three trials, are Romans trials. The first are religious trials, the second political trials. One thing they all had in common are these, these six trials were illegitimate, and Jesus was innocent throughout all the six trials. Now, furthermore, none of the four Gospels, not even one, we have to have all the four Gospels together uh, in order to um, stick all the pieces to come up with understanding of the entirety of these six trials. Not one Gospel wrote about these six tri trials. Um, so far, we have seen that Jesus has already undergone two trials. The first with Annas, who um, at that time was the ex-high priest. And in the second, Caiaphas, who was the high priest, and it was at Caiaphas's, Caiaphas' house. And the second trial uh, was between 1 to 3 a.m. in the morning, where the Sanhedrin uh, gathered together and they broke almost every rule under the sun. And that is to put an end to Jesus' life. From bringing many false accusations to leading him to self-incriminate, which was unlawful at that time, uh, not allowing him to defend himself, to where and when this trial took place. All this rendered this trial to be illegitimate. And this was the second trial. And the second trial came to an end, if you recall, with the rooster crow, when the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter denied Jesus three times. And what was the final verdict that they came up with? Jesus is charged with blasphemy. And he's worthy of death. Well, at that point, and that ends the second trial of Jesus, mission is accomplished so far. 
um, all the Sanhedrin now, they, they can go home and have a um, couple of hours sleep uh, because the next um, morning they're going to gather again. And for these two hours, Jesus would have been held as a prisoner at Caiaphas's palace. He's waiting for the daybreak so that the Sanhedrin, when they regather, they need to come up with the verdict again. But this time, it's just to make it look official. It's just a matter of formality. They've already murder, murdered him in their hearts, and they declared that he's worthy of death, uh, but they were murdering an innocent blood, uh, innocent, yeah, innocent savior. And all they wanted to do now, as far as the third trial is concerned, is to cover all grounds and to make sure they get rid of all their fingerprints. So if just in case if the crowd would rise against them, they would be on the safe side. So we come now to Mark 15 verse 1. And that is the beginning of the third trial. Mark covers it in one verse. And he says, early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. So at the, early in the morning, at the crack of the dawn, at about 5 a.m. in the morning, give and take, uh, the chief priests and how many Sanhedrin members? The whole council. That is the entire 71 members of the Sanhedrin. They regrouped together and they couldn't wait to put Jesus to death. Again, it's just a, a mock-up a mock trial. It was just staged. Uh, they were just simply following policies and procedures to make it look legit. And for the full details of this uh, trial, that third trial, uh, you can have a look at Luke 22. Uh, we don't have much time, so we're not going to go through this, unfortunately, today. But the outcome of that trial was the same as the previous one. That is, Jesus must die. And Jesus must die ASAP. Well, the iron is hot. But there was one simple, small problem. The Romans at that time, they've taken away the Jewish right to inflict um, capital punishment. They could punish uh, their citizens with anything other than death. So for Jesus to be executed, he had to be sentenced by a Roman leader, not a Jewish Sanhedrin members. And this paved the way for Jesus to be tried um, under the Roman um, governors, three trials. And as I said before, Jesus was innocent in every of these trials. Now, the Sanhedrins, they knew that very well, that they couldn't inflict capital punishment. So what did they do? It says, and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And this exactly was a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. Let me remind you in Mark 10, 33, Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be, A, delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. B, they will condemn him to death. C, will hand him over to the Gentiles. To be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, that was already done. At the Garden of Gethsemane, they will condemn him to death. Again, that was done in the, in the second and the third trial. Um, and three, hand him over to the Gentiles. And that is exactly what is happening at the moment. They delivered him, it says, to Pilate. Now, it's very important to know this. Why is that? Why is it important to know that this was the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy? Well, it's because while the chief priests and the Sanhedrin were entirely responsible for their wicked crime that they just committed, but it was God that was ultimately running a show. God was in charge. 
It was his sovereign plan that was unfolding precisely as he intended it to unfold. And even a wicked plotting against Jesus. It was not an obstruction to, to God's plan. No, no way. On the contrary, it was assisting unfolding God's plan. And how amazing, how sovereign is our God. In Acts 2.23, tells us that it was the predetermined plan and the full knowledge of God that led Jesus to be nailed on the cross. All the evil that has come upon Jesus Christ was carefully orchestrated by God's predetermined will. It was God's direction. The Father in heaven, He's the one that was holding the steering wheels of, of the affairs of these six trials. And it was the Son who offered Himself as we know in the Gospel of John chapter 10, voluntarily into the hands of the sinners. He willingly let them bind him so he would set his people free. Well, we continue on and it says, and, and delivered him to Pilate. And verse 2, Pilate questioned him. Now, Pilate, who's Pilate? It's just, uh, we need to understand this and set the ground. So we understand how the second trial uh, uh, undergone by Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate, <clears throat> he's known by, and he was a wicked Roman governor. He ruled over Judea. And he had power from Rome to, to do anything. He had absolute power, even over death and life. And the four Gospels together, they paint a terrible picture of how wicked this uh, governor was. Uh, he was, number one, he was proud. In John 19, verse 10, when um, Pilate was interrogating Jesus, he said to Jesus, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you. He was a proud man. And um, in Luke 13, verse 1, it tells us that he was a, a brutal, he was harsh and cruel um, governor. It says in Luke 13, 1, that the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, says, Worshippers of God have gone and they were making sacrifices. And as they were worshipping God, he actually thought it was a good idea to um, kill them and to mix their blood with their sacrifices that they were offering to God. Outside of the scripture, his character was not any better. Um, they dug around and they found letters were written by other governors to other governors about Pilate, and, and they described him to be inflexible, merciless. That he committed um, many acts of atrocities and crimes that are appalling. And his relationship with the Jews um, was that of hatred. Um, and it was both ways. He hated them and they hated the, him in return. Um, let me uh, tell you a couple of stories that, that really led to this hatred to increase. Um, when uh, Pilate was first installed as a governor, um, he wanted to flatter the Roman um, emperor at that time. His name was Ti Tiberius. And so he thought it would be a good idea to get his images and hung on that Jewish temple. Um, you can just imagine how the Jews felt when they saw Tiberius images all around the temple. Many of them, they went to see um, Pilate at his palace, and uh, Pilate didn't li like that very much. They wanted to see him, of course, to remove those images. And so Pilate, what he did was, he surrounded them by his soldiers. He threatened them, saying, if you don't move at once, I'm just going to kill you all. Jews, being as passionate as they were at that time, they didn't move one bit. They laid themselves down on the ground. They exposed their necks and they basically said to him, hey, we would rather die uh, over and above 
uh, you desecrating the temple. We don't want the temple to be desecrated. And if it means our death, so be it. Well, because he just only started his job, he didn't really want to get in trouble and jeopardize his office, so he let them go. Um, he felt like he was cornered by them, and that kind of created this animosity between him and the Jews. And then later on in time, um, after he uh, had maybe more experience, um, he foolishly had his soldiers raid the temple and um, um, just took their money from the temple. So once again, the Jews, uh, they protested against him. But this time, when they came to protest him, he thought, wow, now I'm going to get my revenge. And he massacred all of them, killed them all on the spot. So in conclusion, as far as Pilate is concerned, whether in the scripture or outside of the scripture, this Pontius Pilate was a cold-blooded, brutal, coward governor. Now we pick up the story from where we left. It says, they delivered Jesus to Pilate for the first of the Roman trials. Three trials, that's the first one. Now we only get a very small glimpse of this trial in Mark. So can I just ask you to turn to John 18.28. John here unpacks this for us. He gives us more detail regarding this trial. And we'll be going through verse 28 to 32 in John. John 18, 28. So we know exactly what happened at that trial. And it says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. They, that's the Sanhedrin, um, they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium. Praetorium is where the governor stayed at that time. It's almost like you could say uh, Pilate's White House uh, in Judea. And so they went to the Praetorium and it says, and it was early. We know it was early because in Mark, as we read earlier, it was early in the morning. Um, and now check this out. This is the pinnacle of their hypocrisy. It says, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium. They didn't enter it. They refused to enter a, a Gentile house. Now, why is that? I mean, they were murderers, the cold-blooded murderers. Why wouldn't they want to enter? Well, it tells you why. So that they would not be defiled. Wow. Very holy people. But might eat the Passover. They didn't want to be defiled. They wanted to be ceremonially clean. So they could celebrate the Passover. What? Hypocrites. Pretenders. So while they were guilty of murdering the true, innocent, spotless Lamb of God, yet at the same time, they were careful to be ceremonially clean. To eat the shadow Lamb. So the real Passover lamb, they offered him, they killed, they slaughtered him. They wanted to slaughter him. And yet at the same time, they wanted to be holy enough to eat the Passover lamb. So they considered their ceremonial defilement to be worse than the moral defilement. They had no hesitation whatsoever to lie to hate, to be jealous, and to even plot wicked plans to murder the Savior of the world. But the external lamb that can't save anybody, uh, we have to be good enough, holy enough to eat it. So it was all a sham. It was blind leading the blinds, like Jesus said. Let me remind you once, Jesus said about them that they clean the outside of the cup of the, and of the platter. But inside, they're full of robbery and wickedness. They were externalists, a facade of holiness, an eggshell of some goodness, but the inside of it is just rotten egg. Verse 28, anyway, sorry, verse 29, it says, Therefore, Pilate went out to them. Well, obviously, if they weren't going to go in, Pilate had to come out to meet them. 
And um, 5 a.m. it was, of course, as we said earlier. And Pilate uh, knew that they were coming to him. It wasn't like, you know, oh, what a surprise, you're coming to me at 5 o'clock in the morning. He knew that they were there, they were going to come to him. Um, how is it that he knew that? Well, if you recall, um, when at the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the Roman soldiers that went to arrest Jesus. Well, these soldiers were um, Pilate soldiers, and they wouldn't have been able to go on their own without the permission that uh, Pilate granted them. So he knew that they were going to go and, and arrest Jesus at that time. And he was expecting um, the Sanhedrin to come to him. And notice here it says, he said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? Pay attention. What accusation do you bring to this man? So in other words, when Pilate sent his um, soldiers to arrest Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, there were no accusations. There were no charges that were laid up against Jesus. And, and Pilate knew that. Yet he sent them anyway. So in what ground did he send their soldiers? I don't know. Anyway, we continue in verse 30. They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. What accusation? Well, the accusation is that Jesus is a bad man. That's why we want you to kill him. All right? I mean, this should be enough for you, um, Pilate, yeah? Can you kill him now for us? <clears throat> if this man were not an evildoer, we, we would not have delivered him to you. What accusation do you want, Pilate? What, don't you trust us? You know? What in the world? You know that we're good judges, right? This is work on this basis, right? So don't worry, Pilate, about charges or accusations. They're just minor details. All we want you to do is just to execute um, Jesus so everybody can go home and celebrate the Passover. So they didn't really want um, Pilate to be the judge. No. They only wanted Pilate to... <clears throat> approve the killing of Jesus, and to execute him. That's all they wanted. So Pilate said, <clears throat> well, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Well, you want to play that game? You don't want me to be the judge. You want to be the judge. Well, you take him and you deal with him. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Now let me explain something here so we understand what's happening. <clears throat> they could have taken the law into their hands. Yes, we know um, that the Romans did not permit the Sanhedrin to take the law into their hands when it comes to execution. But they could have done that. They could have stoned Jesus. How do we know that? Well, because that's exactly what they did to Stephen a few um, later on, not long after that, maybe a few months perhaps after that. If you recall the story of Stephen, where the Sanhedrin um, instigated the crowd and they caused the crowd to pick up stones and stone him. They could have done that. Yes, perhaps they would have gotten in a little trouble with the Romans, but they could have easily pulled it off. <clears throat> In fact, later on at the end of the book of Acts, they, they tried to do it again with Paul, wanted to stone Paul. But from the human perspective, the reason why really they didn't want to do that is because Caiaphas knew Jesus' fame skyrocketed. His public status went through the roof at that time. It was too much of a risk to take the matter into their hands. They as we know, many times the scripture tells us that they feared the Jews and they didn't want to anger them unnecessarily. And so they wanted to make sure as much as they possibly could um, to throw the blame at Rome just in case if, if the people begin to, up, to, to go against them. And so they wanted to get, play the game properly. That was from the human perspective. But from God's perspective, from God's point of view, 
We read verse 32. And that is to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke. In other words, why is it that they went to Pilate and said to Pilate, we are not permitted to put anyone to death? It was to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke. Let, let this ring in our ears for a little while. You know what that means? It was to fulfill the word of Jesus. Jesus was in charge. He was still in control. In fact, you want to know how much he was in charge? It tells you here, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. So Jesus was not just in control. He was even in control of even what kind of death he wanted to die. In other words, Jesus did not want to be stoned. No. Jesus wanted to be hung on a tree. So he would be the, the, the curse bearer on behalf of his people. But Caiaphas obviously didn't know that. Caiaphas didn't know John 3.14 as it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It wasn't meant for Jesus to be stoned. It was meant for him to be lifted up. He never entered Caiaphas' corrupt mind that he was actually fulfilling Jesus' prophecy even to the letter. So what does that mean? Again, it means Jesus was not actually on trial. From God's point of view, from God's perspective, it was three trials where Jesus indicted the Jews and now he's about to indict Pontius Pilate. So Jesus was holding the court, rendering his own judgment. And while, yes, at the same time, he was atoning for the people that would come to him, yet at the same time, he was in charge. Well, to get the ball rolling, then they have to come up with some excuses, some accusations. So in Luke 23, verse 2, the Sanhedrin accused Jesus of Claiming to be a king. Well, it sounds like a, a political crime worthy of death according to the Romans' law. So they pulled it off really well. They wanted to give him some political accusation in order to make sure that Jesus would die. Because who would dare to rise up against Caesar and uh, claim to be king? So verse 33, it says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and he summoned Jesus. Well, alarming bells started ringing in, in Pilate's mind. Oh, this is worthy of death. I don't want to get in trouble from Tiberius. I better go in and check on Jesus and see what he has to say. So he goes in. He takes a look in Jesus. He was a man dressed up in his peasant garment. Hands are tied. Blood is everywhere. His face is disfigured and swollen because of the beating that just happened just earlier. And then he says to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, the word you here, by the way, just to let you know, just something simple in Greek, it's emphatic, meaning it's present there. Normally in, in, in Greek, um, you, can, you can get away from saying the word you um, apart from the verbs. But here it says, are you king of the Jews? In other words, it, it's, it's meant to be read as exclamation of disbelief. Literally, if you would read it, literally it would be, are you the king of the Jews? You, as to say, look at him, it can't be. I mean, this is a joke. I mean, what are the Sanhedrin been drinking 
before they came to him and they said, oh, he's claiming to be a king. There is nothing in Jesus' appearance to indicate that he's a threat to anybody, much less to Caesar. Look at him. He looks harmless. He looks like a bird with a broken wing. He can't be a king. But let none of us make this deadly mistake. Jesus was and is the king of kings and lord of lords. And no one could ever corner Jesus unless he chooses to be cornered. And at his will, at Jesus' will, if he desires to corner someone, he will corner him. And that is exactly what happened in this passage. Let's have a look. Verse 34. It's amazing. Jesus now answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? So when Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus is responding here, are you? And that's you, by the way, again, emphatic. So Jesus used the same thing. And he goes to him, are you, you, saying this on your own initiatives? Or did others tell you about me? So Jesus now turned the tables on Pilate. And what seemed to be defenseless, and bruised Jesus, he is now actually holding the court on Pilate. Heaven's court now is in session. Pilate is now on trial, and his eternal destiny depends on his answer to this question. And Jesus is saying to him, Don't worry about me. Who do you think? I am. Who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? Wow. What a glorious life Pilate would have had if he just this moment, at this moment, said, you are the Christ, the king of my heart. Wow. Jesus, the judge, would have set him free. Jesus, the savior, would have saved him that moment. But rather than thumbs up, it was thumbs down. Verse 35. Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? You can just imagine Pilate now is just that little burst of ridicule. It's kind of like mockery in his tone of voice. He goes, I don't look like a Jew to you, do I? Oh boy, did he hate the Jews. In other words, I I didn't see a revolutionist in you with my own eyes. In other words, and to answer the question of Jesus, no, Jesus. It's not really my own initiative. I don't recognize you as a king, much less my own king. That's so sad. That is so sad. And he continues on and he says, Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? What have you done? Five o'clock in the morning. Sanhedrin is outside. And... Pilate is thinking in his mind now, Jesus, come on, make it easy for me. Just say, yes, I'm a king, and that way I'll, sen- I'll sentence you to death. I can go back to sleep. Now, if Jesus said, yes, I'm, I am a king, flat out like this, it will be misleading. Why? Because he's not a political king. That was not his intention when he came first time. And if he said no, obviously he would be lying because he is a king. So what does Jesus, that wise teacher, what did he do? In verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Hmm. Well, let's break it down. There's just at least two things that we can extract from here. He's saying to Pilate, I, yes, I am a king. Since he says, my kingdom, meaning he is a king. It's his kingdom. 
But he also said, my kingdom is not of this world. So my kingdom is not of flesh and blood. It is not a political kingdom. It's not a, a physical kingdom as you think it may be. It's not. I'm not pressing any threat on you or in your emperor. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants will be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Now, let's make it clear. One day Jesus will come back and he will rule physically, politically on earth. But for now, he doesn't have his followers going around with swords and weapons. They are going around carrying a gospel. And, and, and they're not going around to kill people. They're going around to save people. So he says, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. His kingship is spiritual. He rules, absolutely. As a king, he rules. But he rules in the heart of his people. Not externally, but internally. And because Jesus is a spiritual king, he compels his disciples to obey him, not by fear, but by love. He doesn't rule by manipulation or threat like the kings of this world. No, he rules by grace and mercy. He leads not by force or violence, but by joy and peace. So in other words, Jesus is definitely a king, but most definitely a king who is outside of this world, outside of this realm, as he said. Something that obviously Pilate at that time would have no clue about. He knows how to lead only by fear, by threat. It's foreign to him to lead, to rule this way. What does that mean? King of the heart. So again, because Paul Pilate is confused, he says to him, well, in verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Well, now that Jesus defined what it means for him to be a king, he goes on to say, you say correctly that I'm a king. In a lot of my definition, what a king is for me, yes, I am a king. In a lot of establishing a true meaning of my kingship, you're spot on, Pilate, I am a king. In fact, it goes further and he says, for this I have been born. There is royal blood in me. Jesus didn't come um, and become a king um, as a result of circumstances or through a coup. He wasn't born as as a prince and later on in life his father died and therefore he became the second king. No, Jesus was born king. He was born for the very purpose of being a king. And then he goes on, and then Jesus says, And for this I have come into the world. Come into the world, meaning coming outside of the world, coming from a different realm, and more precisely, from the royal throne of heaven. He's coming from the royal throne of heaven. And he descended into the sin-cursed world in order to reclaim his kingship over the heart of his people. It's profound truth that he said here. Then Jesus continues on and he says to testify to the truth. To testify is to bear. That means Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. What's the truth? That's the truth about the gospel. It's right through the gospel of John where it speaks about Jesus. He's come full of grace and truth. And he came in order to proclaim the gospel because in the gospel there is that truth that Jesus wanted to bear witness to. That is, God is perfect and he demands nothing less than perfection. 
that man is utterly sinful. No matter how much man dresses himself up from outside with his good works, he's utterly sinful. And that since man loves sin and loves the lust of his own desires in his own heart, and he loves darkness, man is destined to eternal hellfire. And it's only through knowing the truth of Jesus Christ that he is the King of kings, that he is the Lord of lords, that he is a savior of the world, that only through Jesus' salvation to be granted, only through knowing this truth that Jesus bore, one can be saved. In fact, Jesus is not just the bearer of the truth. Jesus is the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And Jesus continues and he says, Everyone who is of the truth. What does that mean? Everyone who belongs to the truth, belongs to Christ, who is the truth. Every sheep, everyone who is saved, hears my voice. It doesn't mean everyone who is saved hears my audible voice. No way it would mean that. Otherwise, Caiaphas and Pilate would have been of the truth since they heard Jesus' audible voice. doesn't mean that. It means everyone who is of the truth hears me with the ears of their heart. Meaning they would recognize who I am. I'm the shepherd king. That they would believe what I say to be true. To, to hear my voice, it means to follow me. And you find more about that in the Gospel of John 10. In other words, to submit to me as the true king, the true king of their hearts. So by saying this, you know what Jesus was doing? He was being his great evangelist, using his opportunity. To give an invitation to Pilate to come to Christ, to hear him, to believe in him, and to be saved. But what a tragedy. What a terrible, heartbreaking tragedy. Because as Jesus given this invitation, and he told him right there and in, I am the king outside of this realm of this world, different world. And I'm coming here and I'm speaking the truth to you. What does Pilate say? Verse 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? We hear that a lot, don't we? It's post modern generation. What is truth? Pilate being cynical, agnostic. His heart was full of unbelief. What is truth? In other words, there is no absolute truth, right? That's why we're here, right? What is truth? Meaning, who knows what is right from wrong? <laughs> That's the judge for you. Doesn't know what is right from wrong. He's confused. What is truth? Meaning, what's true and what's error? Nobody knows. Yet. I'm the judge. Well, of course he had to be confused. He never embraced Jesus as his own king and savior. No wonder he's confused. Because Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And to reject Jesus is to reject truth. So it is consistent with his attitude towards Christ. And because he rejected Christ as his king and as his savior, he is now and forever languishing in torment of hell. The only purgatory that we know in the scripture 
is eternal purgatory. You're not going to come out of it once you're there. What a sad tragedy. Now, let's move on and check this out. This is very interesting. Very interesting. Pilate is still uh, um, in the spotlight. And it says here, when, when he, that's Pilate, had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I, I find no guilt in him. Wow. This is, this is remarkable. Because think about it. Given the corrupt profile of this judge, the countless of innocent victims that he killed. This case should have been so simple for him. He could have just said, look, you know, these Jews are coming here. They're annoying me. They're putting me under so much pressure. And all they want me to do is just to uh, kill this innocent guy. It's just a peasant there. Very well. I'll do it. No problem. But to demonstrate how innocent, how pure and undefiled Jesus was. He was so blameless that even the cold-blooded, confused, corrupt judge, as Pilate was, he was pleading the innocence of Jesus. I find no guilt in him. Well, with that being said, let's continue the narrative from the, from the Gospel of Mark. So we'll go back now to Mark. Now we t- pick up Mark from verse 3. This is where we begin our sermon, okay? <laughs> just, just, just kidding. Don't worry. <laughs> so Mark 15, verse 3. We've only just gone through two verses. Now we'll go to verse 3. And um, you can just imagine. When he said to the religious leaders, there's no guilt in him. What in the world? What do you mean there's no guilt in him? We were so close to killing this man. I mean, Paula, we delivered this man to you, not to hail him, but to nail him. What are you doing? And their blood would have been boiling. This uncontrolled anger and deceit. They let the tongue loose and in, in desperation. Look what it says in verse 3. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Just anything that they've got, just throw it in there. They're not going to let it go. They will not. So one by one, they get the mic and they go to Maca- to. Uh, Pilate, (laughs) and then they bring an accusation. Whether true or false, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. They just bring anything against Jesus. They're all ganged up against Jesus. And while they're raging, and this mob was all on top of Jesus, do you know what Jesus was doing? In Matthew 27, verse 12, it tells us that he, had, he, gave, he gave him no answer. He was just silent. So if you look at the situation from Pilate's point of view, he's standing there and he's looking at these chief priests and the Sanhedrin with their frowning faces, shaking their feet, maybe pointing finger at Jesus, and they're all saying, I'll bring against you. Jesus. These people have stormed into my palace and they're bombarding me with allegations against you and you're just standing there like a silent sheep before its slaughter. Right? Defend yourself, Jesus. Verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer. Just perfect Absolute silence. Jesus got them exactly where he wants it. This is exactly where Jesus wanted to be at. So no further discussion. No more responses from Jesus. And in, and in Pilate standing there with a stark contrast, and he sees that big difference between the evil barking of of these wicked um, Jewish leaders 
and his majestic silence of Jesus. And it couldn't be overlooked. It could not be ignored. Why? Well, normally, if uh, um, anybody was in a Roman court, or in fact, any court for that matter, and there was someone who's been accused and is about to be sentenced to death, you could just imagine the emotional response. And in desperation, that person would shout and scream. He'll try to do anything to clear his name. But not so with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 verse 7. It was a fulfillment. This was fulfillment of this uh, prophecy where it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet what? He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Pilate is thinking, what kind of man is this? He's never seen anything like it. And so, in that verse 5, it says, so Pilate was amazed. Pilate's jaws dropped. How come? Jesus' royal calmness before this barrage of accusations is like a perfect peace in the midst of a hurricane. Wow. Wouldn't you want to have that heart of Christ? Ocean of waves roaring and smashing and crashing against Jesus, yet he's this solid, unmoved rock. No wonder he's called the king of peace. Well, we'll come to the end. I'm going to cut short the conclusion. But I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, if Pilate, being an unbeliever, and yet when he encountered Jesus, he was astonished like that. Brothers, how much all the more? We who believe, we who are of the truth, ought to be awestruck when we too study the person, this mysterious person of Jesus Christ. To know that this humble Jesus bore all our sins and cast him into the sea of forgetfulness. It's meant to be jaw-dropping, mind-boggling. To suffer all these trials for us and much more. Jesus did not just only suffer for us at the cross. All the suffering was in our behalf. And to suffer for us, we who are undeserving, unworthy sinners, so that we would be accepted by God apart from any good works that we have done, ought to be eye-popping, soul-gripping. Among all men, we who believe should be the most amazed about Christ. Jesus Christ, the servant king, is worthy of all worship. And to encounter him is indeed and will forever be breathtaking. He's worthy to be adored. But for those among us who don't know Christ, whether flat-out unbelievers who know that they are unbelievers, attendees who just come and go, or even church members who know in their hearts that they're false converts. I want to say to you, let's just reflect on Pilate for just a moment before we close in in his service. Pilate rejected Jesus' invitation to believe in him. Where is he now? Where is he now? Tormenting in hell forever and ever. And Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate as a humble servant. But on judgment day, it is coming. 
Pilate will kneel before Jesus, King Jesus, as Lord of all. But it will be too late for Pilate to repent. He missed the boat. He missed the boat. And he will suffer for eternity because of his own sins and wickedness. Right? What about you? Do you belittle Jesus? Or do you want to be of that truth and put your trust in him now? Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. When it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no fence sitting. There is no gray area. You either nail him or hail him. You either scorn him or crown him. You hate him or you love him. Where do you stand with Christ? Where do you stand? And likewise with Jesus Christ, there is no middle ground as far as he is concerned. He'll either be your lamb or your lion. He will save you or will slaughter you. He will be your sin bearer or your sin accuser. He will either say, I know you or depart from me. I never knew you. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? As far as God was concerned, Jesus was never in trial. But Pontius Pilate was in trial. He thought he had Jesus in his hand, not realizing that heaven's court was at hand and that Pilate was standing there before the king of all kings and lord of all lords. You might think that Jesus is a puny savior and it's better for you to live your life your way and you think you could get away with it. But friend, one day you'll stand before Jesus Christ and he will be your judge. He's now merciful to you. He's granting you countless of opportunities to repent and to come clean, to put your trust in him. But do not count on it as though it will be forever. One day, you will see him not as a merciful savior, but as a just judge. And the time of mercy will be gone. And all that is left is God's judgment because of your sin. How are you going to go when you stand before Jesus on that day? I urge you, come to him now. Not all your good works could ever save you. Not even for a day, let alone for eternity. Not all your good works could ever be offered to God as a good sacrifice to satisfy his justice. Only Jesus Christ is able to satisfy God's justice. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. If you believe in him now, all your sins will be forgiven and you'll be granted eternal life. And you will enjoy that Savior forever and ever. He is such a great Savior. Such a great Savior. Friend, I know you heard it before, but let me say it to you again. He is such a great Savior that no matter how much sin you've committed, no matter how intense or wicked this sin is, He loves to save. He enjoys to save and He is able to save to the uttermost those that will come to Him. I urge you, come to Christ, that King. Let him be your savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he descended to this sin-cursed world to be our sin bearer. Lord, there are people among us here who have a, such a frozen heart. And in and of themselves, they will never believe. They don't have the desire to believe. 
They can't even cultivate that desire. Oh Lord, how we beg you, Lord, to penetrate into this frozen heart. Shatter it, Lord, by your power. Crack it open. Break in, Lord. Give them a new heart so that they would desire you. And from their new heart will cry out, Jesus, save me. Save me now. Lord, oh, how we beg you, Lord. How Jesus went into that trial and suffered severe suffering in order to release people from sin and death. Lord, how we desire to see Jesus releasing people now. Giving new life now. Giving eternal life now. God, do, Lord, what no man can do. Save, save dead people, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.